Well, I wanted to take a look at uh, Matthew 5, uh, some interesting statements that Jesus makes there. Uh, and while I don't think I have all of it figured out, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit uh, and um, thought that you might want to uh, think about it with me uh, as we take a look at some of these things. You've you probably heard uh, somebody talk about an, an eye for an eye, but they usually say it like, eye for an eye. Like, yeah, I get to poke somebody's eye out. Tooth for a tooth, which is great unless it's your tooth that's going to be, you know, charged in payment for whatever happened. But actually, um, I'm going to take a look at those words a little bit because it was really a call to moderation. Because for many of the people that would have been hearing that, both in the Old Testament and uh, as Jesus is there, it, it wouldn't have been eye for an eye. It would have been war for an eye. It would have been clan fight for an eye. And you think, well, that's an over-response. Well, maybe, but I see people over-responding to conflict today. And so as we look at these words here, I think there's some, some real good advice for us today. For a, a, us as we go to work tomorrow or as we interact with family this afternoon or as we simply go about our lives. Well, Matthew 5, verse 38 and following. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So there are several temptations that I see people fall into as they take a look at this text. Some are tempted to, um, to simply term it as hyperbole and exaggeration. Jesus is talking in extremes, so we'll, we'll pay attention to what he's saying. And, some will spiritualize it to the point where it actually has no meaning at all in our daily lives. I spent some time trying to think through this text a little bit. I, I, I um, have spent some time uh, at a seminary that was uh, populated primarily with individuals that would probably view themselves as pacifists, and they have, a, they have a view of this scripture. And there are several other people out there writing that would have a different perspective of not being a pacifist. I have great respect uh, for both that movement and, and for other thoughts out there, but I'm, I think there's a lot to learn from this verse, and I think that the text really has to be dealt with from a context of looking through the lens of a vengeance-filled society. And I think the society that Jesus found himself in was very concerned about vengeance, was very concerned about getting back. Well, things haven't changed a lot, have they? And so I find ourselves living in a very vengeful society. Well, let's start off with, you see Jesus beginning the conversation with, you have heard it said. Now, if Jesus is quoting scripture, he often says, it is written, you've seen that, and so what I think is happening here is that Jesus is attacking 
a popular yet erroneous societal belief. See, I don't believe that the text is saying we can't defend ourselves. If somebody punches you in the nose, thank them for that and ask them to punch you again. That doesn't sound like a very good time. Don't believe that Jesus is suggesting we should let people push us around and, and be a doormat. And, and honestly, in some ways, those views would be easier to talk about than, than what's being taught here. See, Jesus introduces this topic with this eye for an eye phrase that we saw at the beginning. You know, the Old Testament attempted to limit retribution, to put some reasonableness around retribution when entire clans would go to war over a seemingly minor offense or generations of people would be in strife because of something that happened before they were born. See, Jesus here echoes the call for a reasonable response to a wrong. See, honestly, taken correctly, an eye for an eye is a call for calmer heads to prevail. Now, he's not exactly a world-famous theologian, but he is um, our oldest son. And Nathan's view on this is that nothing here makes any sense unless it's motivated by grace. Well, let's take a look at a few verses here quickly. If, uh, first of all, if you look at verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. See, I, I don't think we should overreact to personal insults, to personal attacks. Well, somebody just got punched in the face, you said. Well, so he talks about being struck on the right cheek. Now, I did mention our oldest son. He happens to be left-handed. If you're left-handed, please indulge me for a moment. The majority of people are, of course, uh, dominant right-handed. And so if, uh, if they're going to punch you, you're going to get hit on the left side, right? I hope you never experienced this. Um, having experienced it, uh, when right people punch, they hit you on the left side, right? Uh, so what's happening here is is a is a backhanded hit, a slap of humiliation, a personal attack. The significance of turning the other cheek is not to be perhaps struck again, but to not be vengeful in our response to a personal attack, a backhanded slap an insult that challenges you to retaliate, an attempt to shame you to get you to either back down or, or respond and lash out in the conflict. See, to turn the other cheek is neither humiliating nor is it retaliation. It's rather a response of strength. I won't seek revenge because I'm stronger than that, and I will not respond in shame because I have the dignity of Christ that clothes me. 
See, my dignity isn't found, my strength isn't found on whether or not I can strike back or whether or not I can overpower. My dignity is found in remaining faithful to Christ even in difficult times. One, uh, one commentator said the following, the injustice that is willingly accepted here is therefore not so much a matter of bodily injury but of, of shame. See, the temptation to respond to insults and personal attacks in this society, particularly in the, where, we've, where we've grown bolder in the faceless, sometimes anonymous world of social media, is amazing to me. So, um, now somebody said to me once, if you don't ever want to be attacked in social media, don't say anything, own anything, or do anything. Well, I tend to say a lot. I do some things, and I do have a couple of items also. And so I occasionally get attacked in social media. Perhaps you have too. Uh, what's interesting to me is that oftentimes I'll then subsequently run into those individuals that have been very bold. Um, I actually uh, interviewed a candidate for a position once, and we always do a little background check on them. Well, how about that? I didn't know I made anybody that angry before. So I, so I said during the interview, I said, so I upset you a while back. What was that about? Oh, my goodness, were we backpedaling? Because sometimes, right, when we're separated by an insulation of distance or digital divide, we tend to say things boldly, but then when we're sitting across the table, sometimes we're not as bold. Just for free has nothing to do with what Jesus was saying. This is, so say, a Terry. Could I caution you about putting anything in writing that you don't want your grandmother to read? Or putting anything in writing you wouldn't want your boss to see or your next potential employer and just be careful about those things because what I've amazingly found is that they're just out there after you let them out there oh I've written some scathing emails before I just don't send them I just delete them um, that feels real good <laughs> As long, but I do not let myself put the email address uh, in the email at all in case I, you know, accidentally hit sent. <laughs> that would be bad. You know, it can be particularly difficult. We chuckle about it. But, you know, when you're attacked in a public setting, it's not fun, is it? Right? Uh, and, um, you know, when someone speaks of you poorly or writes something about you, and I'll tell you honestly, if you're in any position of leadership or influence whatsoever, people are going to be upset, right? Somebody recently told me that um, if we had a golden goose that was laying golden eggs down Main Street, somebody would be upset about the feathers. That's probably true. And the fact is, if you've been called to leadership at any level, you simply have to understand that criticism will come. And one of the things that should be a hallmark of all of our leadership is the 
is the humility of spirits and the ability to simply allow criticism to happen and avoid the trap, just avoid the trap of engaging in a war of personal attacks, whether it's face-to-face -face or even for all to read. We sang earlier of the church, and, and, um, and you know, and I'm happy you know, that the church is you. You're the church. And what I find, what I find is that whenever there is some type of conflict, how I respond is immensely important. Maybe not for the person who is upset with me, but for the many more who are watching. And if that takes place on a public forum or in social media, be the one that responds well, that turns the other cheek, that doesn't feel the need to respond strongly to insult. Well, if you look at verse 39, if someone wants to sue you, oh, now we're getting, whew, we're way beyond getting punched in the nose here, right? If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. To sue someone for their tunic and then take the cloak, that is really nasty. It's really over the top. You're really suing them for everything they had, literally taking the shirt off their back. To do so would have, <laughs> would have just been a, a massive insult, a massive humiliation. Again, I don't believe that Jesus is telling us not to defend ourselves if we're taken to court or if we're wrongly charged. It doesn't seem to be the point to me. Most around us would encourage to attack at a frivolous at a frivolous offense. Don't just defend yourself. You really show them. You really show them they messed with the wrong person. They challenged the wrong manager. They took on the wrong family. They messed with the wrong people. Because society would push us to do that. And I think Jesus is literally saying the opposite there. That Jesus is encouraging us to defend ourselves fine, but not to respond in vengeance. Jesus is not, in my view, dishonored if we defend ourselves, if you find yourself in a difficult spot in court or in a legal concern, or if we stand up for what is right. But Jesus is dishonored, I believe. Jesus is dishonored when we are mean-spirited and vengeful towards those who are attacking us. Right? The difference between defending ourselves and getting back, really showing them. A couple of tests out there that um, I find helpful um, is when someone's talking. We have often spoken with folk who are suing other people, uh, who are involved in a legal dispute or are being sued. It's a topic today, right? Uh, and sometimes people will say things to me, it's not about the money. But you're asking for money. So if it's not about the money, then what is it about? And as, as we try to navigate life, we're going to step on each other's toes. 
But we need to figure a way that we can treat each other with respect and not be vengeful all the time. I have a friend. Uh, my wife and I were privileged to serve uh, on the mission field in Puerto Rico. And there was another um, family there uh, that were missionaries. Uh, and uh, they were they were in a car wreck. Uh, the other individual was not just at fault. He was uber at fault. Totaled their car, and um, of course they had some injuries, that thankfully not serious, but totaled their car and so forth. And they went to court, because they had to go to court, and they simply stood up and said, we forgive him. And walked away. And I was so impressed with that. I have another friend that was involved in a car accident in Florida. Um, I don't know if you've ever driven in Florida, but it's only a matter of time until you're involved in a car accident. Um, uh, we lived in Florida almost 20 years before coming back to Kentucky, and um, there literally are more vehicles than space on the road. And so you're defying the law of physics if you don't run into somebody while you're driving in Florida. Uh, and um, indeed, uh, he was hit and, and injured um, with injuries that, that plague him to this day and yet did not seek vengeance. And I remember he sat down and said to me, what are we going to get from them? to take from them. I was so impressed with that. Because we don't overreact. If we walk away from opportunities to be vengeful, I believe that our witness is enhanced and we're able to say, we did this because Jesus has changed our life. That we're different because Jesus has made us different. Well, I hear a lot about the second mile here, don't you? If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And often when we're complimenting somebody, we'll say, hey, they went the second mile, right? And, I, and that's fine. It's a, it's a popular figure of speech, and I appreciate um, when, uh, when people do that extra service. And so if you get, you know, super service from somebody or somebody works extra hard you say well they went the second mile but that's not really the original meaning of it see the original meaning was forced labor there was really only one group that could force you to go a mile at that point Roman law allowed for a Roman soldier if you were there to carry his heavy equipment for a mile but no more than a mile but he could oblige you to do so so I think really the lesson here isn't about doing extra. The lesson here is that we are careful not to retaliate obligations that we don't want to fulfill by doing a bad job. So the soldier comes along and imagine your day. You've got your day planned out and you're, you're ready to do something and you've got Everything lined up, you're ready to go, and here comes this Roman soldier dragging his equipment. And you do your best not to make eye contact. You do your best 
to throw down your inviso shield. Oh, I wish I had one of those. And, and you, and, well, he sees you. And he's walking towards you. And he hands you his javelin and his pack. And he says, you have to carry this for a mile. Now, I would be, I would be tempted to say to him, here's the mile marker, and don't ask me to go one step beyond that next mile marker, because i got things to do. And by the way, you are oppressing my, my culture, and you are mean to my people, and I'm not going to help you any more than I have to. Carry this, he says. You're obliged to. But imagine getting, imagine the soldier's surprise, imagine the centurion's surprise when you get to that first mile marker and he's ready to find somebody else and you say, I'll take another mile. I'll carry this, this burden for you a little further. Now, this is a very common occurrence. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Scripture, you see a, a, very, uh, a very poignant illustration of that. As Jesus is dragging his cross, the Roman centurions obliged Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross of Jesus for the rest of the distance. You might even have to drag someone's cross. I find this I find this trait today interesting that that as we're obliged to do things that we don't want to do we often I don't know about you we just met I often will begrudgingly do those tasks As a matter of fact I often won't do those tasks very well now I don't want to point out any things I don't do well, so I'll talk about my kids for a minute. So at our house, uh, we have four children. They're fantastic adults, and I love them a great deal. But when they were growing up, if you were the youngest, you had a privilege and a right. You had the privilege and right to be the dog waste removal technician. It was a coveted spot. It came with equipment. bag and a scoop, uh, and, uh, and it was your job, their job, to take care of that. That worked fine as more children were coming along. You had to do it for a couple of years, but being the last born was problematic. And our last born, our last born does many things very well. He was not a very good dog waste removal technician. So I would say, well, we call it scooping a poop. I don't have that, hope that doesn't offend you. We, I, we would say, go, go scoop. Oh, the agony, the drama. And he would be back in a minute and a half. I was like, you know, there's no way you're done. I'd say, why don't you go back out and try that again? Ugh. So he'd go back out. Another minute and a half. So I'd take him out and I'd walk him around and I would point to 
engagement opportunities for him. <laughs> so how did you walk out here and miss that? And that, you stepped in. You must have seen that. <laughs> but his response to all of that was to simply avoid the task, right? The two youngest ones would often be in charge of raking leaves, and so they would put them. We had a dumpster. We lived in town at that point. They'd put, they would put the leaves in the dumpster, and they'd fluff them up. This isn't my first rodeo. So I'd pick one of them up and put them in the dumpster and make them pack the dumpster down. A couple of the kids are going, yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, and then I'd make them actually fill the dumpster. It's interesting that um, my, my kids have much later thanked me for that. Thanked me for teaching them how to work and thanked us uh, for teaching them how to work. And even at job interviews, one of our kids interviewed for a job he wasn't exactly qualified for, and they said, what qualifies you to do this job? And my son said, well, my dad used to make us pack the leaves down in the dumpster before we were done. I know how to work hard. Interesting, interesting. And sometimes if we have a task that we don't like, we attempt to do so poorly that the next time, we won't get asked to do it. So, so phrases like, go clean your room, wow, right? But that's okay because when I get phrases like, go clean the break room, or can you stay a few minutes late to help me with this, or I need this by five, sometimes even when we're way past being dog waste removal technicians. We tend to begrudgingly do the obligations that we're asked to do. When I think what Jesus is calling us to do is to do them with joy and thankfulness. I used to work at a community college in Central Florida, a fairly large one. Uh, it was a privilege to work there. One of the interesting things, it was the first public institution I'd ever worked for. One of the interesting things about it was everything was public knowledge. It was a public institution. So every year, all of our salaries got published in the local business journal. All right. And I was sitting across from the campus president when the latest version came out. Now, I want to tell you that... Um, According to the business journal, I was the lowest paid dean in the entire system. Okay. But the campus president said, oh boy, now I'll start having people wanting to come talk to me about their salary. And I said right there at that table, it won't be me. I'm grateful for the role that I have here. Because honestly, being the lowest paid dean in that system meant that I was a dean in that system. And I had the privilege of serving in those roles. As we find ourselves obliged to do difficult tasks, whether it's at church or whether it's at work or whether it's at our family, or whether you're the dog waste removal technician, we must approach these with joy. 
One of the reasons I love being at a university and really have for the bulk of my adult life uh, been at schools, either studying or teaching or leading, is that I like the energy that, that being around college-age people brings, brings me energy. One of the interesting conversations I occasionally get into is that they, 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 want, they want to lead Good, God's called you to lead. But before you lead, you've got to understand that being faithful with the small task that you have now prepares you for the large task that you'll have ahead of you. You know, you look at great leaders in Scripture, whether it's David or Moses or any number of leaders, you see them leading sheep. You see them performing humble tasks. You see Joseph being a faithful prisoner. What does it take to be a faithful prisoner? And yet, all those things prepare them for their next role of leadership. We have got to be people who do the difficult tasks with joy. A job well done may be your greatest witness. Well, Jesus wraps up here in verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 42 is kind of a conclusion, a, a parenthesis with the you've heard it said and give to the one who asks you around this whole series of statements. It's like the conclusion to the topic of how we should live. We're taught to avoid everything from active retaliation to engaging in a rumor war to those who seek to damage our reputation, avoiding passive retaliation of doing an incomplete job to difficult tasks. It is, I think, Jesus' call that we be givers, that we be servants. And so I think we can ask ourselves, I can ask myself, am I a giver? Am I a servant? Do I serve? I think some of the evidence of that, whether I do or whether I don't, is how I respond in settings like this. When we are insulted or our character is challenged, do we lash out and seek vengeance? When we're attacked formally, do we go beyond defending ourselves and do our best to teach that person not to mess with us? And when we're obliged to do something we don't want to do, do we passively retaliate by just doing a bad job? Jesus calls us to be givers, but I think he has every right to do so, doesn't he? As I read Philippians 2, I think Jesus really not only embodied giving, but embodied the sacrifice that we should seek to follow. Philippians 2 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Wow. In your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who by being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God bless you.